Hey guys, this is Socratic Hobbits, where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, think out loud about hard questions when we stay on topic. Thanks for joining our conversation. When I was editing the last podcast, you were like, why are we bidding so much? And I've asked a few times and not gotten a straight answer. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Had started running for a race with my sister and Yeah, it's a Hood to Coast sponsored event. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm injured now and so I haven't been running this last week. So that's been kind of it's been frustrating because I don't feel like I'm that old, but apparently old enough that when I started running ten to twenty miles a week, my like my arches couldn't take it. It wasn't even my heart or my muscles. It was my arches. And then, yeah, I just, I've had to take a week off. I don't know if I'll have to take longer and potentially get physical therapy. We'll see. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I try, I'm trying to be healthy and my body rebels. Hold on. One more, one more break. Ba-dum, boom, boom. Ba-dum, boom, boom. Last, last break. I promise. Cat was trying to get in. <laughs> like uh you're loud so i'm not going to have you in uh this podcast booth have you gone over the uh like people have thoughts on the proper way proper technique for running to not be injured yeah i mean david and i've been talking a lot about that uh he's injured all the time he's not injured all the time i just remember him always talking about injuries I'm I'm I can't think of any injury he's had except for his his knee except for when he was doing when he was coaching basketball he that was right before you guys left he broke his ankle for about 2 weeks he basically was like yeah you need to read this book by um this is 2014 uh marathon winner his his first name is Meb Meb Klaveski yeah, I wasn't going to try to say his last name. It does start with a K, though, and that's the noise he made, so we'll go with that. He's from Somalia? or nope. from? I don't think you'll get it. I had never heard of the country before. Oh, um, they had oh. a big famine. It's, it's in that area. Uh-huh. Do you want me to tell you? It's not Ethiopia. It's the one just next to Ethiopia. It is next to Ethiopia. Eritrea. You did get it. Kyle, see this? It did, but we can cut out all the pauses so it sounds like you've got it pretty quick (laughs) if you want. (laughs) Well, it's probably been since like 2004 was the last time I read anything about Meb. But he didn't win the marathon, like the Olympic marathon. I know. We we imported him as our star runner and he didn't win it for us. How dare he? No, he, he did. Just not right away. Right. Instant Americans demand instant gratification, instant return on investment. He won the New York and the Boston. Anyway, so David, 
recommended this book and he's got he's got quite a bit of cross training in there and and other things and it's a little bit alternative to some of the training schedules that I've seen um basically he it's more important the mileage is more important than your pace for a long time and then your pace becomes you can work on that once you have a lot of miles under your belt so basically it's at least David's opinion that I my heart might have been fine and my muscles might have kind of gotten back in the groove of things but it takes a lot longer for all of the helper muscles essentially or all the tendons and different things are you googling something i'm trying to remember the name of the guy who is kind of famous for for teaching like huge musk brian mckenzie yes okay he's 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 kind of a name for teaching huge muscle bound CrossFit guys how to run without um, reducing their muscle mass or getting injured. Have you, have you tried the, the Pepsi or Sprite bottle? Like what is it? 16 ounce plastic bottle. You fill it with rubbing alcohol and water and stick it in the freezer because the rubbing alcohol won't freeze. And so mm-hmm. it'll get colder. Mm-hmm. And then you like, it's just the right shape so you can, let it rub under your feet. No, I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice. Like that's the only use for a soda bottle I can think of. But yeah, some people drink soda out of them. I've got a coworker that does that. I could grab one from him. Tr- trucker bombs. That's the other use of soda bottles. What's a trucker bomb? Oh, it's when you can't hold it on a long road trip. I don't understand. And <laughs> <laughs> you toss it out the out your truck window. Oh, that's terrible. I had to do that. We, um, you didn't call my, it a trucker bomb though. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't throw it out the window like a barbarian. <laughs> I, was on a, I was on a youth group trip up to Canada. It's when you see a Prius. And we uh, were. It was like a youth group trip up to Canada, and they held us at um, Gun the border point. for probably two hours. I have no idea why. And I really had to go to the bathroom, and they wouldn't let us off the bus. Basically. Or, I don't know if it was our bus driver or the Canadian patrol, border patrol. I could see the bus driver being concerned that you guys would be held up longer if you like went in to use the restroom and then they were allowed to go, but yeah. they weren't. <laughs> I always told it was the border patrol, but now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> as an aged man, as we've already discussed, that's probably was just, I should remember that bus driver's name. It was Cheryl. Cheryl. She did it. <laughs> uh, if you're out there, yeah. Cheryl, Daniel's What's still that? bitter. I'm still bitter. <laughs> I think about it all the time. <laughs> uh, oh, well. What are you going to do? Define productivity. Define productivity for our homes. Uh, I was just thinking you... generally. Oh. Well. S- start general and then zoom in. Okay. So. I, uh, BJ Fogg, I've talked about him for a while or uh-huh. in different various contexts. I, th- I feel like it was him, but it might've been somebody else. Um, talks about, you can't have traction. And I would say that productivity, it very generally is, is where you are engaged towards a goal. Same mm-hmm. thing with traction. So you can't actually define distraction, which, you know, we talk about being distracted by our phones, distracted by, 
etc. But if you don't have a goal in mind, you can't actually even say what you've been distracted from. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about productivity in general, it's like there has to be, if there isn't a goal in mind, then it doesn't really matter how quickly you prepare a meal or whatever, or do your taxes or produce widgets. If that doesn't get you towards the goal. So I know of a company that every dollar of income, they had promised more. It cost them more to produce the things they promised than they were receiving. They had their margins all wrong. And so even though they had, you know, 10 or 20 or even more customers, they had agreed to do, to have a hundred thousand dollars of product for $80,000 worth of benefit to them. And so it was problematic for them to actually be good at sales because so it's like, so you could see, well, we're, we're, we're getting a lot of money in the door. It's like, yeah, but we're, it's costing us more for like to stop selling. Right. <laughs> we're, you know, so I don't know. What do you think about that? I thought you were going to end and say, and then they sold ink and it was all okay. And then they sold to Apple or Amazon or Google and it worked out. That, that too, actually. <laughs> they had built up a large enough customer base that Google was interested in buying them for their Custom. artificial intelligence data acquisition. Yeah, yeah. Moral of the story, be interesting to Google. Um, no, no, I don't think that that's actually a very good strategy in general. I don't know. It's... It, it's obviously it's worked for some people, but I don't think that I could build a business with that as the intention. Well, I guess that gets back to the, what you're saying about productivity. Like the productivity in that case was building the largest customer base possible at whatever mm-hmm. cost they could finance yeah. versus something you or I might want to do, which would be to actually generate a return for the quality solution we produce. Yeah. and. We've talked about um, Naval. He would not be interested. Like our our vision is too small for for what he kind of envisions. We couldn't scale that the way that we could scale something that we intended to sell sell out of in a few years. And in that way, I'm. But I'm fine with that. I don't think that I would. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't like. He. I think he kind of talks down about. He talks a little bit down to people who want a lifestyle business. And to me, that seems very attractive to have a business where I'm able to work as, you know, a certain amount and make a livable income and it doesn't turn into a billion dollar business or a million dollar, like where it never has that kind of explosive customer base that I sell out and then start a new company. I mean, that sounds fun and exciting. I just, I don't even know that I have the skills or aptitude for that, nor the appetite for risk. I think Naval's point was actually that your risk is the same either way and your time input is the same whether, I mean, what he said was your time input is the same whether you're running one Italian restaurant in downtown Vancouver or creating Tesla you're going to be putting in the same amount of time as an individual contributor to make it successful. I guess I disagree with that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I guess I do know some people who have started a company 
but you know actually okay so i know one couple that started a company and then there's the company i'm working for now right and there was a period of time where they were working like that but as far as i know none of them are now in a in a period of and i I get the impression that elon musk still puts in quite a bit of time and i think that's something that he enjoys right um and i've also seen uh have you ever heard of Derek sivers yeah cybers yeah oh yeah um so he started a company and Mm -hmm. hired himself out enough that he doesn't work for that company anymore right tim ferris did the same thing eventually right Um, a couple times yeah I mean, for the one that he talks about in his, his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, that's what he, that's essentially what he he ended up having to do. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you, once you get over a certain hurdle and there's enough kind of inertia in a company, mm-hmm. as long as you're okay with making not as much and you can hire out managers to do what you did or hire subcontractors to contract out work then you could get to a point where you, you know, and you and I were talking about actually another <laughs> company I had a really short stint with because that I got the, the construction job up in, up in Longview, um, mm-hmm. how the owner I think would be a lot better off if he hired someone to do the things that he isn't particularly skilled at. Right. I guess, so I have a couple thoughts on this. Like I really like, I would love what you're saying to be true, um, but there what? there are a couple of things I want to drill down on. One is is that hurdle that you mentioned you have to get over, and in order to get to the point where you can um, hire people to fill your role, and then, and then the the second aspect of that is just how tight the job market is. And so thinking through um, the feasibility of finding someone who will be passionate enough about the vision that you have for, or I have for my, my business to carry it forward successfully if I'm not there leading the charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there are two things there. Um, yeah, so one as far as how tight the labor market is, I think that actually like people are probably more likely to, they feel like there's less risk in the job market right now and perhaps more likely to go out for themselves. And so it's easier to find somebody. It could be easier to find somebody else who wants to work and do like wants to contract out. You're going to maybe pay more than you would to have an employee it depends on how well you can systematize what you're doing, but right. there are also computers who can do a lot of the things that we do. Uh-huh. Um, it, again, it depends on how good you are at systematizing. Um, if you can systematize very well, you don't even necessarily need English speakers to do what you, what you want. Uh-huh. Um, I think that the training process for that could be potentially very difficult. Um, Let's drill down on the systematizing. Um, have you read any books or listened to a podcast that did a good job of describing that process of taking the creative endeavor you've done and systematizing it so that it can be run by other people? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, so Tim Ferriss does talk about it in his four hour work week book. He talks mm-hmm. about it somewhat tangentially. I don't think that he kind of gives a methodology. Um, a lot of books on habits talk about systematizing. So tiny habits would be potentially very good, like for thinking okay. about about how you process those things. Mm-hmm. Another podcast, which I don't have a specific episode in mind, but um, Cortex it has CBG, CPG Gray and Mike Hurley. They both have okay. started a... Well, Mike Hurley started a podcast. Um, I'm just going to call it Empire. Um, he has... There's probably like 30 or 40 podcasts on that, and it's C-O-R-E-T-E-X. Um, and CGP Gray runs his own company at this point. He's got, I think, two animators um, and a couple, like an editor, a personal assistant, and like he, he subcontracts out his taxes and, you know, he's got this, this kind of business. Um, but then he produces these uh, videos for YouTube and uh-huh. as well as podcasts. And um, so, so that actually kind of gets into what kind of thing are you producing? If you're producing a, um, like if you're producing content that can just be consumed by people and you have a good way about like, of having a, you know, where you're, you have some kind of level of popularity, then you don't necessarily need to have very many people. There's not a ton of processes to hire out. Right. Right. You're not going to have this. If you're starting a restaurant, then that's going to be actually a lot more difficult because you there's so many things that you would need to hire out even from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of depends on, like if you're providing a service, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult. If you're providing a product, you could potentially hire a lot more pieces of that out more quickly. Right. And so you're getting at the point, I think the point you're getting at is how it's really important if you're aiming for that more lifestyle business to choose your business wisely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, start with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it grows into something that's different than you intended. And if it gets too too far out of, you know, what works then maybe it doesn't work out for you as well. So um, I started a, at one point a business kind of doing Excel projects for people, right. which I really liked um, and perhaps could have made work, didn't. But that would have been a pretty poor lifestyle business because there's I was kind of the magic sauce. Right. And so... You were creatively I'm... coming up with solutions using Excel and it was yeah. your brain making those creative solutions. Yep. Yep. And people were coming to me. I was the, like, I took care of all of the, like, so I could have hired out billing. I could have hired out maybe marketing or something like that. I could have hired out different things, but instead I was, I had all those hats on. I was way, way, way before the hurdle, right? The hurdle wasn't even on the track that I needed to get over (laughs) in order to Uh be able to do some of those things that I was talking about. But that did give me some insight into there's you have to put on so many different hats to start a business. It's uh, not ideal, I think. Um, so, so one of the, I mean, this is this is great. It's not quite a, what we had planned on talking about, but I have I have one final question to before we get to. I feel like we missed your first question, and I don't remember the exactly what it was. Oh, I I thought. So so the so the second question was 
finding people. The first question was getting over the hurdle. Okay. Okay. So you kind of, I think we kind of got to that maybe in, so, so you addressed it a little bit with how you were talking about picking the business wisely. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that. Yeah. As far as getting over that hurdle, um, I guess one thing I was thinking when I was saying that is most of the people that I know who've started a business worked 80 to 100 hours, well, for periods of time for the first probably five years, somewhere around that. And so it's it's a pretty significant commitment. Um, and that was towards the beginning of their business. That was they didn't. They didn't do that for like that was all they did right <laughs> was was work on their business and at, attempt to get clients knock down doors and like try to open up pathways and because yeah and part of why I think it worked as well for one of the companies that I did is because it was like a team of five people and usually like if you just have one then your connections are a lot more limited if unless you've been in the industry for a really long time um I would I would say you should probably work in the industry that you're attempting to start a business in for a while before you um before you try to fully jump to that. So, if you're intending to be a content writer for you know, to have your own blog or whatever, like be in, you know, interactive on in that sphere for a while first. There's all like there's ways to um kind of get into the sphere that you're trying to produce in before jumping jumping in it full tilt uh what was the what was your last question so my last question to give a little context i was talking to my wife about buying houses to rent and Mm -hmm. i was saying that one of the things i think one of the primary things i think is attractive about that model to me is it's really easy to see what the product is and it's really easy to see the path to the product. The product is providing a home for someone. And the path mm-hmm. to that is you raise the capital to buy the house, which we've done before. I know what that process is. And then you find someone who needs to rent the house and then they pay the rent, you pay the mortgage and you pay for things as they break in the house. And so it, the point I'm trying to make is it's very that the the end goal painting a picture of the the end goal is fairly straightforward. Yeah. Um, I think with a one of my hangups with a lot of other business ideas is just figuring out how to paint that clear vision of what it should be. And I was yeah. wondering if you had any thoughts on or resources that come to your mind when thinking about how to paint a vision for something that's not exactly been done before, or maybe it has, but it's not as commonplace as having a, putting a roof over someone's head. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny as you're talking about that. My parents rented out, um, they had apartments Uh and to hear you talk about it so simply, it's like, technically he's not wrong. It felt like it was a lot more than that though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, there's lots of, lots of pains associated with that. Although my, my, my parents did a lot of the maintenance themselves. So that was probably part of it. Right. Um, so, uh, it did work out pretty good in the end though for him. Uh, anyway, uh, as far as painting a picture, 
other than talking to somebody who's done it before, if it's something that's never been done, well, then I don't know. I don't know what you do there. You, um, here's the thing that I've found though, in general, when you have an idea of what you want is you're going to have an idea what your end goal is going to be. And then that Kyle, you had some ideas of marriage before you married your wife. I don't think that you really, I think that that has changed quite a bit over the last years that you've been married and, and now have, have anywhere between five and 20 kids. I can't keep count. 25. 25. <laughs> See, can't even keep count. I don't know any of their names either, except for a few. Um, you don't have to have many that many litters when you have sextuplets. <laughs> oh, God. Your poor wife. <laughs> They're not litters. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. In every animal species other than humans, it's called a litter when there's more than one. Uh, is it? Basically. Not yeah, in, well, humans not are different. Not like goats. I think humans are different than other animals. Not goats. So we're like goats. <laughs> we should be Socratic goats. <laughs> Greatest of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, at least we have a podcast title now. <laughs> Socratic I still have goats. Socratic goats. I have no idea what I'm going to call last episode. I've got a terrible ramblings. Saying. Ramble on. Let's uh, let's see what I've got. It back to the yes, painting a picture of the end goal. Yeah, so painting a picture of the end goal. So aside from knowing somebody who's done it, if if nobody's ever done it before, um, basically what you're going to end up doing is writing out kind of what you think, and then as you get closer. Um, you can do one of two things. One, you could say, or I accomplished it. And so now I got to, I have to pivot in some way, you know, whether that's, uh, I've purchased a house. Um, am I going to leverage this to do a second house? Like, let's say your plan is to buy three. So that way you can substitute your, your income off of the rent or something like that. Right. Um, or most of it or enough of it that you don't have to work if you don't want any more, whatever it is. Um, or you buy, you know, you buy one and then maybe you decide that that's more than you want to deal with uh, because renters aren't perfect. You know, they're, they're people just like you and me. And um, I found out that I had signed something saying I wouldn't put up any shelves in my the last place we lived because I didn't own it. And then the landlord who lived next to me was like, what are you doing? And I was drilling these big holes. I was like, oh, what are you doing? And <laughs> <laughs> so when we moved out, they actually kept the kept the shelves because they would have been like eighth inch holes or no, not eighth inch. They would have been bigger than that because they were, they were like lag bolts into the studs. (laughs) I wanted the shelf to be secure. The shelf didn't come down. It sure didn't. I could have done pull-ups off of that. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I'm super fidgety. I noticed because I already like put one pen far enough away that I wouldn't play with it because it was making noise I could tell and now I've started tapping my pencil against the uh, against my pad of paper maybe if we define productivity that'll be helpful that it could be could be uh okay Kyle tell us can we put into words a vision for what productivity means in the end okay you you go this time I mean going back to the Latin, it basically means to lead forward. Okay. Um, so, producere. Is that how the Latinese would say it? 
yes, the Romanesques. Okay. Um, and so there's an idea of obviously forward motion, but then forward motion that's brought on by an agent. Um, and I think you, in this case, you or me or anyone listening to the Scriotic Hobbits, I think one of the most easy ways to define it is it's, um, creating something of value. And then you kind of have to define, well, what are you using to creating is fairly straightforward. It's produce. It's, um, I mean, it's hard to, I, I want to cir- circularly go around. Yeah. It's, it's a way that we image God in that we're taking something that is not, I don't know. I almost want to say we're turning chaos into order. Yeah. We're, we're reversing entropy. Yeah. I, that's in the, and you can, you can apply that to cooking. You can apply that to cleaning. You can apply it to woodworking. Like you can apply it to any different thing, like productivity and creativity. Like you're taking something that wasn't and making it into something that's like intelligible and useful, hopefully. Right. So I like that thought of reversing entropy. Yeah. I like it too. It's a good one that you came up with. So how do we reverse? So, so I guess to create some context here, we wanted to talk about, or I wanted to talk about um, how to productively use the spaces we have on our property um, and start by talking about outdoor spaces, then move inside and talk about that, which is why we defined productivity. Um, so with that kind of definition of productivity, uh, let's go into a discussion about around how do we reverse entropy in uh, the use of our outdoor spaces? Yeah. So uh, I don't, maybe you mind in which case you just say, Daniel, no, I actually just want to talk about this thing. Um, my sister brought up to me recently uh, the difference between hospitality and entertainment uh-huh. and like entertaining guests and just being hospitable. Yeah. There's a book on that. Yeah. She was reading a book. I don't know if it was the whole book was about that. Um, but it was really an interesting like idea because when people come over to our house, we tend to, I think that my wife and I were just both brought up with this very much entertainment per like we never had. Well, I think her family did more. Her family did some, especially when I was, when her and I were dating, it was much more this way. I don't know what it was like when she was younger. Um, but at my house, we never just like had people drop in ever. That was not a thing that happened. Uh-huh. Um, it was always kind of this much ado when people came over, the house was clean, very clean. And it was not, we did not live that way. Um, <laughs> that would make me not want to have people over. Oh, and we didn't, right? We just didn't have people over. Uh, That's one except, solution. <laughs> except, around like holidays and uh my mom who's a very clean person it drove her nuts but she was working full-time in Hillsboro and was like it was just yeah anyway that's the whole thing but yeah just like inviting like your ha- like you you have to have enough habits in place to where your house is it doesn't make you cringe right it's like or to be okay with a certain level of cleanliness, 
and just like having people live life with you and like no mm-hmm. we're not going to make this big like steak dinner uh for a company we're just having leftovers but we wanted you to be part of our regular rhythm so that's something my sister and her husband have said to me and my wife and so we're uh, we're still talking about it's like well every week is pretty often um to just like do you want to commit to this moving forward indefinitely like that's well that's kind of a big commitment um but we're i don't know i really enjoy them so so maybe that does work out oh just them yeah i mean they might maybe there would be more people but it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like all a bible study or something i know for us we try and have just a different family over at least once a week okay sometimes more and and would you say it's more like entertainment or is it more it's more just entering into the rhythm our normal rhythm of life so i know at one point you were talking about how you do do you do nightly like devotions yeah devotions and worship yeah so when you have somebody over they join you with that yeah if they if they stay oh is that like last thing before bed before the kids go to bed Okay, so like seven. But yeah, we've had both Christians and non-Christians over. And how do you know not? How do you know non-Christians, Kyle? I have friends. Oh, you do jujitsu. Yeah, that's one way. How do you have other friends? Um, I I have some connections from like Vancouver who are over here. Okay. Through like HP and stuff. Okay. And the only people who we know who aren't Christians are like through my wife's work. So you could have them over. We could. I was actually just thinking about how I could set up something where you could have my team over. Your like work team? Yeah. Yeah. If I did that, it would be a lot of people because my boss has like eight kids or something. I guess I don't know if they would all come. Yeah. See, on my team, there are only, I know for a fact, I'm the only one with eight kids. Okay. The other thing I want to talk about related to hospitality, because when I was like, I just did a word search. and uh, Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes into the productive use of indoor spaces, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it was like, where hospitality is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned as often as not as, like, when Jesus is talking about throwing throwing a, a feast. Uh-huh. He's like, don't throw it for people who can return the favor. Right. And then... And I don't know, I mean, I think there's, I, obviously there's some culture I'm missing here, but uh, there's also, people have entertained angels unaware, uh-huh. like shown, show hospitality to strangers by that, by that people have, you know, and like, and show hospitality to strangers. And then Paul, there was, where he's talking, um, he's talking about people who were especially unusually hospitable to them, where they like kindled the fire because it had started to rain. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Paul? I think that's, what's that? That's in one of Paul's letters? I think so. It was or a, an axe? It was a, it was a cursory glance. Um, what does the Bible say about, oh, I actually have the thing still up. Um, I could have just read these and not just tried to remember them. Uh, Acts 28 two. then. Oh, it is an ax. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to uh, say, I can't think of any of Paul's epistles where he would have said that, but yeah. So it's also like there it's, it's kind of, it, it seems like, um, there's like equal contribute to the needs of, of the saints, like be hospital to everyone, especially those of 
God's family. Yep. And then there's also the, um, what seems to me to be like elder qualifications of yep. being hosp- of showing hospitality. So, um, and then, and then Jesus in, in, during his ministry talking about, you know, whoever gives a cup of, of water to drink because you belong to Christ. Um, and then there's the, the last visits people in prison. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And then I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. Um, when I was naked, you clothed me. Uh, I was sick. You visited me. It was prison. And then the people on the right say, why do we, when do we see you? And he said, whenever you did these for the least of these, you did it for me. And so that's like, that's, it's pretty convicting, right? I've never had somebody I don't know over to my house ever. Well, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to, I'll just define. Don't know. What's that? Define. Don't know. Cause if you mean like someone I have never met before, they show up at my doorstep and I let them in my house. I don't think I've ever done that. Okay. What have you done that you would maybe there's, there's like an asterisk, but, but you'd potentially count it there. I also don't, I mean, to be clear, I also don't, I've never visited anybody in prison. Well, we don't have, I mean, that that's specifically in the context of believers. Um, and in America, we don't really have people who are imprisoned for their faith, for what that's worth. Okay, we'll just let that be as it is. Um, you've had strangers in your house, though. Well, so actually, you guys could do this, too. So, so there's this group called International Students, Inc., and they have a group at Wazoo V. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's basically a way for um, international students to get connected with families mm-hmm. around where they go to school. Okay. And so before COVID, we had been through that ministry. We'd been connected with a couple of guys from Bangladesh who were getting um, master's degrees in mechanical engineering at Wazoo V. And so basically, uh, I was put in touch with them and then we agreed to have them over one night. So I went to WSU and found them on campus and picked them up and drove them home and fed them dinner. And And then then we did that a few times. Did you put them back where you found them? And I put them back where I found them. That's good. That's good. Actually, no, I did not put them back where I found them. I put them back at their apartment. (laughs) I don't know why, but this has always stuck with me. My wife and I used to go swing dancing a lot in uh, North Hall. Uh, what's that? North Hall. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Are they doing that, was, that again? Uh, no, I, it was a long time ago that we did this. Um, oh, I meant is North Hall doing it again? I have no idea. I haven't checked on that. Uh, I'll get right back to you. But the dance instructor, he would always say, um, "You should put, you should put, you know, when you grew up, you learn that you put things back where you found them." The same when you ask someone to dance, you put them, you walk them over to where you found them so that mm-hmm. they're, you know, back with their friends. And uh, it's rude to just walk away from them on the dance floor. <laughs> and that has always stuck with me. It's a good analogy. It is. Yeah. They were good at teaching. They were. And just ha- running a good fun. time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about, that's actually a really good productive use of indoor spaces. Yeah. Um, I think another productive use of indoor spaces is kind of what we're doing right now, right? Where instead of uh-huh. working, it's really easy to come home after a day of work 
and like just kind of consume content that entertains us because I need to relax. Yeah. Right. Um, that can be a, a use if you don't overuse it. I think that can be an okay use of your indoor space. Like we function best when we have a safe space that's clean and like that we have kind of molded to our, we have a place of refuge from the world a little bit. I think that's an okay use of the space as well. Again, as long as it's not overused that way. What do you think about that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not necessarily what I would call reversing entropy. Maybe, maybe uh, I guess you could argue that it, that I guess I put rest in a different category than productivity, which is kind of interesting. Well, it depends on what you think a house is for. I think that that is a very specific use of a house to be. I agree. It's a use of a house. I don't. It's like an. In, it's not a. I, I think that's part of the purpose of a house. Right. Is for rest. Right. Okay. And I guess I'm saying in my mind, I have a division between the first six days of creation and the seventh day. Are you insinuating that I don't, Kyle? No. I, well, <laughs> well, I don't know. You were. You were. I, I'm not saying that there needs – I guess what I'm saying is there doesn't necessarily need to be a division there in terms of what is productive and what is rest. What what I'm thinking about is in my mind, I tend to think mm-hmm. of productivity as fitting in the category of what God was doing the first six days. And then I think of rest as being more re- recreation, recreation. Um mm-hmm. Like reversing entropy almost. Which is setting us up to reverse entropy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I guess when I think of the uses and uh, and productive uses of, of the house of my home, that's a really important part. If my house doesn't feel like I can relax in it, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be useless at like if if I have a really uncomfortable bed and I can't sleep, I'm going to I'm going to be significantly less uh, useful and productive. And so uh-huh. maybe I mean even there I, I am differentiating between rest and productivity. But yeah, I noticed. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Um, <laughs> but like I don't know. I've I was talking a little bit about. Um, can you say his last name? Meb. Klefeski. Yeah, that guy. Um, and I'm pretty sure I said it differently st- that time. Some other, st- <laughs> some other stuff that I've read is like you're related to working out and fitness is that your rest days are as important as your workout days. Right. Like what you eat, what you, how well you sleep, how well you're hydrated is as important as your, you know, your lifting days. Yeah. Your- it's, I, I like the fact that you brought that up because it's, it's the, I think the point that that made me think about is it's the fact that both days are necessary to be productive. Mm-hmm. If you only have one, if you only have rest days, nothing gets done. And if you only have workout days, you break you down. just break down. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, I asked somebody, I was at like a grocery store or something. And I was like, how's it going? I, I don't know if it's very normal, but I pretty much always like look the person I'm who's serving me and, and ask them how they're doing. And it's not just a, Hey, how's it going? kind of like I look at him, make sure uh-huh. we have eye contact. And he was like, I get off in an hour and I've been working for 35 days straight. And I was like, woofda, that's a, like, I'd get tired. I'd get real tired, you know? 
standing on your feet for 35 eight hour days 10 hour days potentially i don't know it, i mean it was it wasn't a place where it would be unreasonable like he could have been working four or six hours or something like that i don't i don't know how that grocery chain works but my guess is yeah potentially eight hours a day on his feet even with the little squishy mats it's still it's a long time yeah um yeah productivity you can only I don't know. So we were talking about starting a business and I even corrected myself because there's this kind of like American idea of entrepreneurs that they can work 80 to 100 hours a week for long, long periods of time. And like even where I worked and one of the partners at a law firm was working that much, there were periods of rest throughout the day. So even though she got in at seven or six, and worked until 10 most nights she would like she would go go to the gym for and be gone for two hours and come back like she would kind of intersperse so so even though she was like pretty much working all day and she would do this six days a week like there were periods of time where she made that work for because i don't think that you could function if you were working i just don't think that's possible right um Although, you know, when labor laws were different, maybe it was. Also be interesting to talk to uh, Dr. Kyle about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also, he texted me. We got some feedback. He said he was half laughing, half crying about about us whinging about $20 an hour when he was making uh, less than that right now as a, as a doctor. Isn't that crazy? Yep. I yep. did not know that that was a thing. Oh, yeah. How is oh, it yeah. possible? Like, he's been... He's been that's, all like he's, that's the he system, kno- but he knows everything that a doctor knows almost, that, right? He's just well, like doing but his, like, he's not responsible if something goes wrong. Still, they're making more at the Panda Express, like yeah. right next to my house. Yeah, they make twenty one dollars an hour. That's the starting wage. Yeah, and the more experience, the the idea is, it's the idea that some residencies have is you should be grateful for the experience we're giving you and that should be payment enough i was like you shouldn't get paid at all yeah that's so stupid that seems like the dumbest system to me that's the that's the system that produces the doctors we don't have enough of i know but we would be able to have more doctors if oh for sure paid, if they paid a livable wage absolutely right? you, you're excluding anybody who isn't rich enough or has a spouse who can support them Yep. Because you can't live on $12 an hour. Like, yep. And he's only getting paid, I think, probably 40 hours a week. Like he's probably salaried. That's why they wanted to be in North Carolina and not in San Francisco. I don't understand. Is it more expensive in San Francisco? It's more expensive to live in San Francisco. You get paid the same. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, do, you know, like in order, like the average income or like you're considered pro- in poverty in San Francisco if you don't make like I don't know. It's like eighty or ninety thousand dollars a year because it's the, over a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's over a hundred thousand dollars a year. I wanted to say that, but then I, I, yeah, I hedged my bets. Um, because you can't afford housing, and yeah. now gas is I don't know five dollars a gallon or whatever. Well, well, diesel is definitely over five dollars. It's four ninety. Well, regular here. Well, actually, I remember at the gas station in Berkeley when it was four dollars a gallon. Everywhere else, it was over six. At the at gas station place? in Berkeley, I think it's five fifty 
around where my cousins live and down in like they live in Fresno and well but that's my point is there was a two dollar increase just by going on near Berkeley from what it was everywhere else yeah but so it'd be like seven fifty eight dollars yeah at that gas station that's well yeah if they're still in bit I don't know that's a lot that's a lot of money yeah so okay so that's productive uses we talked a little bit about indoor spaces do you have any any big thoughts for outdoor spaces so you let the dogs and kids run around right yeah i mean i was thinking more along the lines of of gardens and um flower farms flower farms yeah that's a great example yeah i think i mean i think you can do the same thing if you're outdoor space if you're able to to make your outdoor space a place to be hospitable yeah Um, it's a it's a place that my wife and i really enjoy in the long summers that we're getting. Um, uh, I think like yeah. your guys's outdoor shelter, outdoor shelter. Uh, my wife has suggested that instead of having my office in this closet, that we build a 10 by 20 shed and use half of it for lawn equipment. And then I have a corner in there and we can insulate and heat it. And I'm like, wow. Oh. You rank with the lawn equipment. I know. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice of her? She must Probably. really love to mow the lawn. She has never done that here. <laughs> Mr. Money Mustache had a great uh, blog post on building an outdoor ADU. Yeah, he built. Uh, he's he's pretty handy. He built like his himself a whole house, pretty much. But actually, like that sort of construction experience is a productive use of our property. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we save whether that's remodeling our house to make it more hospitable or just to make it have more equity value um, to chicken coops. And we have wood sheds and we say wood shed because we burn our wood. So our, our heating bill was the lowest it's ever been for a winter. It could, I mean, and we had a pretty good cold snap actually for like for December and then it got warm again. At least here it was about two degrees warmer in February this year than last year. I mean, we had like two weeks, not in a row where we was like, Oh, it's unseasonably warm. And then it dropped back down. I don't know about averages though. I was just looking at our, our utility bill says, this is what the average temperature was. And this is how much you used. Oh. And this is what the average temperature was last year. And this is how much you used last year. We should contact the Clark PUD. Let them know. That's a good idea. It's pretty it just cool. Gives us- it just gives us our last, our usage and days. And that's it. It gives you, this one gives you a whole graph for the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, ours doesn't have a graph. It's just the numbers. Yeah. Lazy. Did you get a Vista. How did Clark get to win like all the, the awards for like best utility? I don't know. Seems like they suck. Just kidding. They're fine. They keep it. They keep the lights on. They keep the lights on. They keep podcasts going. Maybe it's just because they're compared to PG&E in Portland. That's probably it. Well, you got anything else for productive outdoor uses? I mean, a couple of my questions here were, are there things we're planning on doing? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. What are examples that where we've seen either outdoor or indoor spaces done well? Um, and then what are our ideal spaces? And I guess when I was thinking the either outdoor or indoor, it's kind of like, what is you were mentioning? It's really important to you that your house be a place where you can um, rest. And so, what I guess the question there would be: What 
aspects of a house make it particularly restful for you? Yeah. Um, I would say like, I mean, we talked a little bit about cleanliness earlier, just having it right. clutter free and having basically having most things, having a spot, most everything, having a spot where it goes and it's organized. So, um, this, you know, even though it's a closet, it's very well organized for the most part. Uh-huh. And for me, that feels like I don't, I don't, even though it's not like beautiful, everything's kind of in these sterilite, clear plastic boxes, but it's all got a spot and I don't really have to worry about it. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and the same, I've been working on the garage and kind of making it so it's not just a workshop, which is what it's been for a while now. Um, and so things getting organized in there, I would say that for me, that's like, obviously if something is dirt, really dirty, it bothers me, but clutter bothers me a lot more. So having a space that's fairly uncluttered, which as I look around, maybe that's something I think about myself, but maybe it doesn't actually bother me that much because there's a lot of stuff in this space. Um, so you really like shelves or built-ins. I, I mean, do, we talked yeah, earlier about how you put shelves in your rental when you weren't supposed to. I did. And then the kind of next big project that we're doing is is doing built-ins around the um, fireplace. So, yeah, I like shelves. I like shelves. It keeps, you know, it's a good use of vertical space. Highly recommend shelves. I, uh, I notice you don't have any shelves on your... Uh, we have a bookshelf. But I can see half of the room and there's not a single shelf in sight. That is true. Okay. So, and that's a little bit of an ideal space for me. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. Having things have a spot where they go and I don't have to wonder about where they should go. Um, Yeah. is important. Uh, As far as like other things, I mean, in the winter, I like to be warm and in the summer, I like it to be cooler than outside. (laughs) I don't know. Temperature. Um, yeah. And I need, uh, I need a dedicated space for coffee. What does your coffee space look like these days? Um, it's, uh, just a part of our counter. I do a pour over every morning, um, before I go to work I've gotten, so I did this, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about my Instagram, but it, I'm, I'm snarky about coffee and like basically kind of put on this, uh, face of being snobby about coffee as well Uh uh-huh and it's changed me a little bit i'm more particular about how i make my coffee now and other things that didn't bother me as much because it it's like i don't want there to be any cognitive dissonance Uh uh-huh so i don't know i think that's kind of funny that is funny yeah i didn't i did not expect that change at all i was just listening to a podcast where they're talking about how this basketball coach did a practice and he basically assigned players, another player on the team and said for practice, for this practice, you're supposed to emulate how this player plays. And he told one of the bench warmers to emulate the star guard. And the bench warmer had his best practice ever. Really? And they were talking about kind of the psychological reasons behind that. Okay. I want to hear about your ideal space. My ideal space, um, it, it has to do with, at least indoors, it definitely has to do with um, space for physical activity. So an open area for 
jujitsu mats, open area for working out, and then a, a big kitchen with a lot of counter space, and then the oh man, that would be nice. Big or a big enough space in the dining room for a large table for having plenty of people over, okay. and then the two things that I think I would like to be different about our current house would be just a little bit more space, more open space in the living room and then more open space in the entryway. Cause it's really hard to uh, greet people when they come in and say goodbye oh. to people when they leave. Cause it's a split level and it's, you're oh, kind it's of like a awkward. Yeah. You could, um, you could do what David does, which is he walks me out to my car and, and that works. You just follow them. You're talking like there's, I just have to thought I'm going to finish. And it's like, uh, it's but nice. when, but when there are someone's trying to corral five kids out the door, well, you, you know, if you've got, you've got two arms, you grab one, you know, you, you continue your thought with one, one, you know, one kid under two, each of your arms and yeah. your wife has two arms and then you've got four of them. It would be easier for them, Kyle. This is true. Is that or is is that not how it works? I don't have any kids, so I don't know. Generally, people are trying to train their kids to move under their own power. Oh, hmm. so that would kind of be counterproductive for that. Yeah, it depends on the size of the kids, right? You shouldn't do that with ten-year-olds, or maybe even two-year-olds. Right? Not even two-year-olds. No. Nope. Two-year-olds are plenty able to go do their own thing. What about one-year-olds? One-year-olds may or may not be walking it, so that's okay. 13 months. But generally speaking, you don't have five one-year-olds, unless you had quintuplets. <laughs> or a litter. A litter of quintuplets. It all comes which, It all comes back around. Apparently, my wife and I were looking at this up rec- recently, quintuplets are about the max for natural multiple oh. births for humans huh super so, rare but yeah 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 i yeah i don't even know what to say about that i know you're I really think. hoping to learn about that aspect of human productivity <laughs> <laughs> i mean it does be fruitful and multiply right that is that, multiplication it is a multiplication not an even you'd have to do two or four that would only be for even multiplication but you can't multiply two and get Times five. two and a half, right? Do you only you work, work in whole numbers? Integers. You have to have integrity, Kyle. Integer, integrity, whole numbers. Are you a Pythagorean at heart? Uh, I don't know how to take that. Have you not heard the story about the Pythagoreans and one of them discovered that the only way to solve one of their problems was with an irrational number and they threw him overboard? <laughs> No, I did not hear about this. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Hot That's the, the story. That's like, the whole story. Yeah. And he drowned. Thanks for listening to Socratic Hobbits. If you enjoyed the episode, we would really appreciate it if you shared it with one person or left a review on Google+. If you have any feedback on how we could make the podcast better, please let us know. Bye.